0: Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look in the bulletin. The verses that we're going to look at are on the inside back cover of your bulletin. Um, And there's a place there to take notes as well. We're going to be looking today at 2 Timothy 4 verses 14 through 18. Friends, listen. This is God's Word. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand beside me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, So we began this series called Living a Legacy last week. And we began by asking ourselves the question, if you found out that you had six months to live, how would you spend those six months? How would your final six months be different from the six months that you just finished living? This final part of Paul's letter to Timothy shows us how Paul spent the last six months or so of his life. And last week we summarized it as um, Paul's bucket list for us. Right? Paul, in these verses, is committed to discipling others. He's committed to reconciling. And he's committed to keep learning. And these are three things that we need to say yes to. We need to say yes to these things if we're going to have a legacy that we won't regret. Okay? If we want to have a legacy that we won't regret, we need to say yes to these three things in our own lives. Um, somebody this week shared a TED Talk with me by a man named Matthew O'Reilly, who is an emergency medical technician. He provides medical care for people who are literally about to die. So in the death situations where there's car accidents, he shows up and tries to help them in whatever way he can. And inevitably, it's fascinating because he ends up with people asking him the question, am I gonna die? And he used to lie to them and say, no, you're gonna live. But then he began, he realized at one point that it's so much better for him to be honest and tell them the truth. And he said this, he said, um, he said that when people are faced with knowing they're going to die, they have three needs. There are three things that people always say when he has to be honest with them and tell them that they're about to die. And these are the three things. He said they have a need for forgiveness. doesn't matter what religion they are, what spirituality brand they have, they all have a sense of a need to be forgiven. They, need to, they also have this need to be Remembered. And sometimes people will actually say to him, will you remember me? I mean, literally, like they're looking for him, right? This this stranger that they probably never even met before. And they're saying, will you remember? People need to be remembered. And then third, they need to know that their lives had meaning. To know that their lives had had meaning. And so I saw this quote, that the only people who fear death are those with regrets. Right, the only people who fear death are those with regrets because they're not ready to die. They don't want to die yet because they still either need one of these three things or something else. Well, in this passage today, we see that Paul is discipling Timothy by talking to Timothy about how Paul pursues reconciliation. Okay, Reconciliation. This is so important for us because disappointment will enslave us if we don't respond to it the right way. Okay, Disappointment will enslave us if we don't respond to it the right way. And we're going to see four points today in this passage. So if you want to take notes, here's point one. People can really hurt you. Okay, no arguments, right? Point number two. (laughs) Right? I mean, do we even need to talk about this? Um, I think it's important, actually, for us to stop and just dwell on this just a little bit to see how Paul was honest about this. In verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. So in this letter to Timothy, in the final words that Paul pens in the scriptures that we have, right? In his final words to Timothy in the hopes that he might see Timothy one more time, but in these final words, Paul takes time to say, man, Alex really hurt me. There's an honesty here. And then in verse 16, he reflects, he says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. This was when Paul was in Rome at the end of the book of Acts. He gets there around chapter 24. He's there through chapter 28. um, And during that time, he evidently makes some sort of a defense. And at that point, everyone deserted him. Nobody stood with him. None of the Christians who were in Rome, nobody. He was all alone, and everyone deserted him. And so Paul is describing some of the acute pain that he has dealt with in his life. He has been hurt by others, and I think we know this pain, don't we? Don't each of us know the pain that's been caused to us by others? It's part of Paul's discipling Timothy, to be honest about the pain that he's dealing with. Paul doesn't only always ever just talk about the good stuff, the easy stuff, the fun stuff, the Jesus stuff. But Paul is honest about the stuff that really hurts. Because this is instructive for us. If you are discipling someone else, and whether you're a mentor to someone else or you're a, sort of like a peer where you're just encouraging each other, man, you got to make sure. Paul gives you space to be honest when things are not going well. It's okay to show up on Sunday and someone says, how you doing, to say, not very well. It's okay to do that. Paul gives us permission here. Paul's experienced real pain from people. It's important for us to understand that, that God has made us for community. Okay, part of the reason that we get hurt is because we put ourselves out for people. Okay, we open ourselves up to people, leaving ourselves vulnerable to be hurt by people, because this is part of why we were made. Okay, we were made for community. The Bible says it is not good for us to be alone. In some ways, we're actually made complete by others. Okay, even before sin entered the world, look at this Adam wasn't lonely because he was imperfect. Adam was lonely because he was perfect. In his his perfect state, before sin entered the world, Adam was lonely. It wasn't good for him to be alone. This isn't just talking about marriage. This is talking about the human condition that God made us for community. And it's this. This is what makes pain in relationships so painful. Okay, for us, we experience pain and disappointment from all kinds of ways in our lives. We experience this from our parents, we experience this in our families, um, in our dating and marriage relationships, there's real pain. And that hurt, that hurt, it stays with us and it can begin to define us. We can become misshapen by the pain. We can become grotesque images of ourselves. Because of the pain that we endure. And so Paul, Paul wanted to be honest about this with Timothy. Paul also warns Timothy about Alexander. Right? He tells him, protect yourselves. Or you need to protect yourself. He said it's okay to keep other people from hurting you. Okay, Paul says, you need to have some boundaries when it comes to Alexander. Don't let him in. Okay? Don't let him in. Elsewhere, Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verse 10, he says, As for the person who stirs up division, um, have nothing to do with him after warning him once and then twice. So there are people who aren't safe. Okay, there are people who are divisive. There are people where it's okay for you to say, I need to create some distance here to protect myself. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but Paul is warning Timothy also against Alexander. He doesn't want Timothy to be hurt in the same way that he was. But even in his honesty about the pain that he's experienced, Paul shows us how he deals with it. Okay? Um, and what we see here is in 2 Timothy 4.16, look at what he says. He says, that my first defense, all deserted me. That word deserted is very, very important. Okay, the word deserted there is the same Greek word that Jesus used on the cross. In Mark chapter 15, verse 33 to 34, when Jesus is on the cross, it says, And when the ninth hour had come, there was a darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that word forsaken is the same word that Paul uses here for deserted. So Paul was forsaken by everyone at his first offense. He was abandoned. Everybody wanted Paul's teaching. They wanted his preaching. They wanted his energy. They wanted his excitement. Um, But when it came time for Paul to have to defend himself, everybody forsook him. This is just like Jesus, who was forsaken by his disciples and then forsaken by God. And then there's another word that I want you to see here in verse 14. Uh, This is the word did. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. I don't like to, well, so basically the word did is significant because the word did is actually a, a pretty powerful word. It's not an ordinary word. It's actually a legal term in Greek that meant to inform against or to betray so what Paul is saying here, Alexander most likely betrayed Paul into the, into the hands of the authorities. So if you're thinking about Paul and Jesus, in Jesus' life, who does that sound like? Sounds like Judas, right? And what's important here about these two things, Paul being forsaken and Alexander being a betrayer, is that Paul saw himself in his suffering united to Jesus. Paul describes his own suffering in a way that connects him to Jesus. Just as he was betrayed, he knew Jesus had been betrayed. And so Jesus was with him because Jesus understands what it's like to be betrayed. As he is forsaken, he realizes that Jesus is with him because Jesus understands what it's like to be forsaken. And so Jesus met Paul in his sufferings. And Jesus helped to reshape Paul's response. Friends, this is good news for us because the suffering that you are going through, Jesus also understands. Jesus has been betrayed. He has been forsaken. Jesus has suffered in all the ways that you have suffered. And so you can go to him and realize when you go to him that he is already with you. And him and his presence can reshape your response. So before we see Paul's response, though, we need to look at the wrong, the wrong way to respond by pain that's caused by people. This is our second point. So point number two is that a wrong response to pain makes it worse. It's really easy for us, when we've been hurt by others, to respond in the wrong way. And when we do that, it makes it worse. What do I mean? Well, typically, when we are hurt by others, we lash out in revenge, right, right? We try to make them pay. We've been hurt, and so we want them to hurt too. I mean, it's only fair, right? It's only fair. We know the depth of our hurt. We know what they've done to us, so we are now responsible, aren't we? We're now responsible to be the ones to make sure that they really understand what they've done. Thinking back to um, our nephew, right, who is house-sitting for us, who completely wrecks the house. Um, thinking about that, um, Tim Keller has written a book that describes the ways that we could respond to that situation where we have uh, someone who's watching our house, house-sitting, throws a crazy party, and wrecks and destroys probably $15,000, $20,000 in damage done to the house. And Tim Keller in his book, Reason for God, says there's really only two options that you have. Your options are to either demand that he pay for the damages, or to pay them yourself and refuse to let him pay. he says there may also be a middle of the road solution where you both share the payments. But Tim says notice that in every option, the cost of the damage must be borne by someone. It must be borne by someone. Either you or he absorbs the cost of the debt but the debt does not somehow vanish into thin air. Okay? But then he says, if it's not your house that someone wrecks, but your reputation or your feelings or your relationship, you can't put a price tag on that. And so Tim goes on and says, yet we still have a sense of violated justice that doesn't go away when the other person simply says, look, I'm really, really sorry. When we're seriously wronged, we have an indelible sense that the perpetrators have incurred a debt that must be dealt with. And as we think about this, sometimes the pain is bad. It's really severe. Sometimes it's abuse or abusive language or actions. Other times, though, it's something that's really small and it builds up over time. Um, One author called this death by paper cuts. You know, typically the way this works out in our lives, it could be a work relationship or a child or a spouse or a dating relationship where there's something that that person does. that just sort of kind of gnaws at you, but it's it's such a small deal that you feel like if you brought it up, that you'd be seen as unreasonable. Right. You know what I'm talking about? And so you don't bring it up. And then it just gets worse and worse because it doesn't stop, right? And then pretty soon you blow your top and there's like, what the heck is going, like you're, you're this angry over this? And then you feel stupid, but I mean, so this also happens where we're slowly destroyed by someone else's words or attitudes or actions, right? Are you with me? Um, so sometimes it's big stuff, sometimes it's small stuff. Well, when we lash out, we get revenge in different ways, don't we? We'll sometimes lash out verbally or worse um, or we'll slander them to others. We might not stand up to them or bring it up to them, but we'll certainly make sure that other people know what kind of person this is. We make them suffer by destroying their reputation with others. We make them suffer. We make ourselves feel better because we find someone who can look us in the eye and go, oh, man, that's just awful. I can't believe they did that to you. What are we doing there? Well, we're exacting payment. Payment. We're making them pay. Sometimes we take a more passive-aggressive approach and we withdraw from the relationship. We withhold love or we withhold respect or concern or even conversation. Right? The silent treatment is a measure of vengeance. It's a measure of retaliation. And Because when we do this, we feel like they're paying off the debt that they owe us. Right? This is what's sort of going on. You have, it's probably not written down or even solidified in your brain, but you sort of have this sense of, no, nope, not yet, a little more, not yet, not yet, all right, now I think, I've, I think I've, they've suffered enough, and you re-engage. Well, the problem with this option, the problem with lashing out or passively, aggressively exacting the debt, is that when we get revenge, the evil that has been done to us actually comes into us. Okay, this is what happens. Um, When we're hurt, there's wrong that's been done to us. But when we get revenge, now the wrong is coming from inside of us back to them. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's a totally different situation when someone does something to you, but when you then turn around and you do it to them, now it's you that are doing this. And what happens, um, Tim says this, he says, we become like the evil that we were wanting to destroy, because now we are the ones doing it. The other thing that happens when we take revenge is that we begin to hold back. Okay, as we get revenge, we begin to hold back. We avoid situations, we avoid relationships where we might get hurt like that again. Okay, and this causes us, what what happens is this causes us then to not fully be who we really are. Okay, God has made each one of you a certain way. He's given you gifts. He's given you a heart. He's given you desires. He's given you talents. He's given you like particular empathy for certain things. Well, when you step out and you're hurt, you begin to withdraw. If you deal with this the wrong way, you begin to withdraw and you say, well, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And you build walls because like, there's no way I'm going to let you do this to me again. And when that happens, it causes us not to be fully who God has made us to be. We're a gift. We've been made and then remade, a gift of God to the world. And yet when we get hurt, we withdraw. We hold back. We're not willing to put ourselves out again because of a fear of being hurt. And we lose sight of who we really are because we're focused on protecting ourselves. Please hear me. Every time you respond to pain and disappointment in this way, you train yourself and you become enslaved. You train yourself like a dog. You're like an obedient school. Every time you lash out like that, you are training yourself and you are becoming enslaved to that kind of behavior. I I hate to say this, but many of you are already enslaved to revenge and anger and bitterness. It is lodged in your heart, and sometimes it only comes in some relationships or in some situations, but it's there, and it controls you. Many of you are also enslaved, and you withhold yourself from others because you're protecting yourself from being hurt again. This is a slavery that keeps us from fully living. And what this kind of reaction does, this kind of response, what it does is it creates a legacy of coldness and detachment from others. Coldness and detachment becomes the legacy that you are leaving. And so this wrong response makes it worse. makes the situation worse because we're setting out to get revenge. We're setting out to make them pay in some ways to feel better about ourselves, in some ways maybe to get them to stop, but we are simply joining them in the evil and in the wrong, and it multiplies. Well, so how do we break out of this? How can we be free? Well, this is our third point. The only right response is to forgive. Forgive. Hey, the only right response is to forgive. This is what Paul does at the end of verse 16. He says, In my first defense, no one came to stand beside me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. May it not be charged against them. Let me tell you what Paul doesn't say here. Paul doesn't say, Nobody stood beside me, but all deserted me. But hey, no worries. Paul doesn't say, nobody stood beside me, but all deserted me. And you know what? It is what it is. That's not what Paul does here. What Paul says, he says, may it not be charged against them. What Paul is doing here, Paul is, in some way, I mean, this is a prayer. Right? He's not telling Timothy, this is is not a command to Timothy, but this is a prayer to God. God. Paul is praying that they would be justified. Paul's saying, may what they have done, may the sin that they've committed, and Jesus even says, right, in the Gospels, Jesus says, if you confess me before men, then I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. And so Paul said, when I stood up for Jesus, everyone deserted me. That's denying Jesus. So they have committed a sin that means Jesus is going to tell them before the Father, I never knew these people. And Paul is saying, that sin, he's praying, God, that sin, will you not charge it to their account? They have incurred this debt. And Paul is saying, may it not be charged against them. Friends, this is forgiveness. This is forgiveness. I'm relying heavily on Tim Keller here because he wrote this chapter in The Reason for God that is so amazing. So here's more of him. He says, along with revenge and vengeance, there's another option. You can forgive. Forgiveness means, here it is, ready for this? Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. Okay, forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to with all of your being is agony. Is it not? Is it not? Is it not? Like, when you have to, like, really? Like, to try to say, I'm not going to say anything that's going to make you suffer for what you've done. I'm not going to do anything that's going to make you suffer for what you've done. That's painful. The reason that we have such a hard time forgiving is because sometimes it's really hard to forgive. Forgive. And frankly, we would much rather just make them pay than to set them free. Tim says it's agony. It's a form of suffering. Because you not only suffer the original loss of happiness, reputation, or opportunity, but now you forego the consolation of inflicting the same on them. You are absorbing the debt, you are taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person, it hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death because now we are paying for what they did. Friends, why would we even think about doing this? Right? Why would Paul even think about doing this? Yeah. Yeah. It's because this is exactly what Jesus has done for you. This is exactly what Jesus has done for you. When God determined to forgive us instead of punishing us for our sins, he had to go to the cross in Jesus and die. This is what Jesus was doing on the cross. Tim says this, he says... On the cross, we see God doing visibly and cosmically what every human being must do to forgive someone else, though on an infinitely greater scale. God's just passion is to defeat evil, and his loving desire is to forgive others, and these things come together as he suffers for us on the cross. The Christian faith has always understood that Jesus is God, and so God did not then inflict pain on someone else, but rather, on the cross, God himself absorbed the pain, the violence, and the evil of the world himself. All right, so some people have said, oh man, the cross is divine child abuse. Like how awful that a father in heaven, if you can even call himself that, would, would abuse his son, right, and lash out on his son. And that misses the point. All right. that misses the point. Jesus is God. There is only one God. And in the mystery of the Trinity, we can't put it all together. But the idea that Tim is getting at that's absolutely right because the Bible gets at this is that the reason, the reason that we can say to someone else, I'm not going to make you pay for what you did is because God himself has said to us, I'm not going to make you pay for what you did. Jesus had to die to forgive us because there was a debt to pay and God himself paid it. There was a penalty to be borne and God himself bore it. Forgiveness is always a costly form of suffering. So why would you even think about doing this? Well, because Jesus did this for you. This is what Jesus has done for you. And this is the only way that evil can actually be gotten rid of. This is the only way you can actually remove evil from the world. And the only way you can do that, the only way you can make a decision to do that, is if you are convinced that this is what Jesus has done for you. The only way that you can get to a place where you're willing to tell someone else and treat someone else as though you're not going to make them pay for what they did, is if you have this sense that the God of the universe has taken the pain that you have caused him, that if you were to put it on a scale, would be at least this tall compared to the pain that somebody else has dealt with, has, has given to you. Jesus says, He teaches us to pray, forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. So, practically speaking, then, how do we respond with forgiveness? Here it is. And, friends, I know that many of you need to do this today. Like, it needs to start today. God, maybe, God's putting people on your heart. They could be people in your family, people from the past, people in your workplace, people in your community. Um, and this is what you need to do. You need to name the pain that has been done to you. Okay, you need to name it with honesty and be clear about why it hurts. Okay, she hurt me with her words. She brought up something from my past and used it as a weapon. I'm trying to be different and when she does this it makes me feel like nothing has changed or at least she thinks nothing has changed. Right, you need to name the pain and why it hurts. He hurt me by cutting himself off from me. He treats me this way when we have this kind of interaction. My dad hurt me by never encouraging me. Right, my mom, fill in the blank, but you need to name the pain and why it hurt. Naming the pain helps you in some ways, in a healthy way, to quantify the pain, to quantify the size of the debt. And that's important. It's important because so often, we are tempted to just say, yeah, 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 I forgive. Yeah, 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 I forgive. And sometimes when we flippantly forgive, what we're doing is we're sort of skimming across the top of the pain. And we're just saying, yeah, I forgive it, but we're not actually addressing the depth of the pain that we've been dealt with, that we've been dealt. And so you have to name the pain and why it hurts. And then you need to forgive them before God. Okay, you need to go to God and you need to pray their forgiveness. You need to say, Father, I am not going to make them pay anymore. Father, you have forgiven me by taking the debt of my sin, and I am going to forgive them by absorbing the debt of their sin and not making them pay anymore. You need to name the pain in the presence of God and then say, I'm not going to make them pay for it anymore. You need to say, I am not going to bring it up again. I am not going to punish them in my actions, in my words, or even in my thoughts. And then you beg God, please help me to stop the patterns of revenge that I am guilty of. That's what you need to do. This is what Paul is doing. He is telling Timothy how he is praying for the people that have hurt him. He is praying that they would not be held accountable for their sin. He's praying that God wouldn't make them pay. He has set them free. And then third, it's only at that point, only after you do points one and two, that you can approach the person and seek reconciliation. Okay, for some of you, you need to go to the other person and seek to be reconciled. But again, you have to forgive them first. Because if you don't forgive them first, your reconciliation efforts are going to have elements of revenge, and the conversation to them will feel somewhat like payback. But you need to go to them in a spirit of saying, I am not going to make you pay for what you've done. And if they're sorry, then you can be reconciled. If they're willing to own the pain and confess their sin, then you can be reconciled. And trust, if there is um, fruit that keeps with their repentance, right, if you see a real change in them, then trust can be reestablished. Okay, forgiveness is free, but trust is earned. Now, if they're not sorry, if they're not sorry, or if you can't get to them, um, then you need to maintain a healthy boundary. Okay? You don't want to make them pay anymore for what they've done, but you can protect yourself against being hurt again. Are you with me? You can choose to stop making them pay for what they've done, but you don't have to let them hurt you again. Okay, that's a trust thing that needs to be earned back. <clears throat> whether or not they are willing to be reconciled, whether or not they're willing to own what they've done, if you do the first two steps... Nothing, might, nothing may change in your relationship if you can't be reconciled, but everything will change about you. Everything will change about you if you forgive them. Okay? Because what happens next, if you respond in this right way and forgive, our fourth point is that this response opens up the floodgates of Jesus' love. This opens up the floodgates of of Jesus' love. Paul can do this because he's experienced the gospel. Paul has learned and experienced forgiveness. Paul himself knows the pain of revenge and anger and intolerance. It drove him. It defined his life. He pursued after Christians and was killing them. Right? Paul knows what it's like to be enslaved to vengeance and anger. But he's also experienced the transforming grace of Jesus. Jesus has seen his past, his present, and his future. And Jesus has forgiven him all of his sins. And Paul wants others to experience that from Jesus. Paul knows that this is completely connected. Right, Jesus... Um, As he has forgiven these people um, when they forsook him, verse 17 says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So Paul realizes that it's him, his ability to let go, it's his ability to forgive that sets him free, that where Jesus shows up and where he is used by God powerfully to spread this forgiving love to others. Because when you do this, Jesus will show up. Okay, and often, when it comes to forgiveness, you have to do this before you feel this. Okay? Um, I don't care how you feel. (laughs) Um, I do care how you feel, but I don't care how you feel, right? It doesn't matter how you feel. What matters is, are you willing to stop making them pay for what they've done? Like, that's what matters. That's what matters. And if you say, yes, I am willing. And if you begin to take action and stop bringing it up to them, and then stop bringing it up to others, and then when it comes up in your mind to stop feeding that anger and that revenge Jesus will show up Jesus will stand by you and strengthen you because when we do this we are then letting Jesus because we can't do this humanly speaking on our own the only way we can do this is if Jesus is living through us is if you have the love of Jesus in you and so you say yeah it's actually not me it's Jesus in me because you don't have the love, but Jesus does. You don't have the patience, but Jesus does, and he's in you, right? And so when you do this, you actually live out the gospel. When you can forgive someone else, when, you, um, when your heart changes toward them because you've committed to stop making them pay, you change and you display the most amazing, powerful love of Jesus. That commitment opens you up to God and it lets him live through you. And what happens here, what happens is that the best of you takes over. Like the best version of you, you become whole. You become whole. Someone in our church was is dealing with this right now and sent me an email. He said that uh, he was challenged by a study that he was reading to forgive people that are difficult to forgive. And he said he'd also been thinking about forgiving his enemy and going the second mile, like Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I remember that the Bible says I'm supposed to love my family, and if that doesn't motivate me, I must remember that my family are my neighbors whom Jesus commands me to love, my neighbor as myself. right? And if that doesn't help, then um, I'm reminded the Bible tells me that I need to love my enemies. So I'm still not off the hook. He said, Jesus commands us to love our enemies and to do good to those who mistreat us. And I get the uncomfortable feeling that there is no way out of this dilemma, no matter which way you turn. So he said, I went to see a relative that I've struggled to love because she has made herself my enemy. She's in the hospital, and I've been struggling with whether to see her or not. And I finally did. She was in bad shape. And she's alert and now able to have conversations, but it was difficult to talk with her. But by visiting her somehow, a major hurdle was cleared in my life. I'm not sure that I've completely forgiven her for things that she's done, but I don't feel so upset or aggrieved toward her. I wasn't ready to lace up my dancing shoes to dance on her grave. But at least now I think I've put my dancing shoes away and I don't need them. This is where it starts. Okay, when I say Jesus will show up if you commit to this, sometimes it just means that you're not so angry. Sometimes it means that you just have a little bit of perspective. And that's where it starts. If you've spent years or longer in the downward spiral of being enslaved to vengeance, it may take considerable time to work your way out of that slavery. But one thing I can tell you is that if you're trusting in Jesus, he has set you free. You can forgive because he has forgiven you. And what's amazing about this is that, remember how I said that to forgive it's like a death. To forgive is to experience pain. Well, this kind of forgiving death also produces resurrection. Okay, because there are people who are hurt so badly that they become defined by their pain. And no matter how often you talk to them, no matter how long it's been, this just, they can't get over it. Right? It's just part of who they are. They can't deal with it. That's where the pain defines them. Well, here's what happens. When you learn to forgive, God takes that defining pain and he brings about resurrection. He brings about resurrection because you die with Jesus and then he raises you from the dead. And what happens is, what happens is that place, instead of your pain defining or misshaping you, your pain actually becomes the place where you are able to share and to show the gospel to others. The resurrection that Jesus gives you actually can get you to become an example to others in that place of your pain. Here's an example. Susan Muncy. Susan Muncy, the executive director of Generate Hope, which is a ministry that is setting women free from sex trafficking. Susan Muncie was trafficked as a teenager. She was sold for sex. She was pimped out. She was abused and ravaged. But she has come to a place of forgiveness in her life. And now God is taking that defining pain and is bringing about resurrection. She is now not only healed, she calls herself a survivor, but she is now healing others. That's what the resurrection, friends, does in our lives. As you begin to forgive others, as you begin to let other people go, you become set free. And what's radically amazing and transformative and powerful and can only be explained by God coming to earth, dying and rising from the dead, and you somehow are connected to that, is that in the worst parts of your pain, all of a sudden you're free. And it doesn't mean that the pain doesn't hurt, but all of a sudden the pain doesn't control you anymore. It doesn't mean that the pain isn't still difficult. It doesn't mean that you aren't still affected by it, but somehow over time, right, it becomes becomes less and less defining. And all of a sudden now, you've experienced this pain and you're still alive. You've experienced this pain and you're not undone. You're experiencing this pain, and yet you're still able to love others and to forgive. And what that is, when you're able to get to that place, that is the power of the resurrection of Jesus alive in you. That is what's in store for us. If we can name our pain and go before the Lord and say, I am not going to make them pay anymore." Friends, on October 19th, we're going to launch ourselves as a new church. Right? That's three Sundays from today. We're going to become a new church. And so I want us, as we get ready for that, I want us to decide together that this new church is going to be filled with people who are not going to live in the past. I want us as a church family to not let our community be controlled by our anger, our resentment, and our bitterness. I want us to move forward into God's future free from the entanglements that trip us in our efforts to run in the gospel. I want to take this baton that Paul is handing to us as individuals, yes, but as a church, and I want us to move forward praying and begging God to not hold other people, not make them pay for their sins so that they would experience the forgiveness that we have experienced. Are you with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you now because we so desperately need your presence. Jesus, we thank you for being God for us. Thank you for coming and for committing yourself to love us to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, I pray that every person here would be able to see you with their mind's eye, would be able to see you by faith coming to them and hearing you say, I do not condemn you. I will not make you pay for your sins because I am going to pay for your sins. Jesus, would you help us to receive that? Would you plant that so deeply inside of us that we would be able to turn and forgive others? Help us to show the love and the forgiveness that you have shown to us so that we would be set free, free from bitterness. Help us to leave our bitterness at the foot of the cross. Help us to leave our revenge at the foot of the cross and let you take care of it. Give us your strength. Stand by us and strengthen us so that we might display for those that we know and love your forgiveness and your transforming power. We pray this in your name. Amen.